Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Andy and Sean Pain and Power or P- Power and Pain. Which are we going with this month? Power and Pain. pain and power. It's the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, so this episode is October is the new September. We are almost halfway through the month and we we're a bit later because I was stateside for about three weeks over in America. So um, that's still no excuse because uh, I believe they have internet over there as well. So we could have done something. <laughs> Only five hours. Basically, time. you've been lauding it. Yeah. And, and I've, I've been, been holding the fort, Sean. I've been living it up over. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is going to be uh, a nice quick one uh, because I have to bring the poor cat to the vet uh, later on. Um, so we're going to go through some questions that we got from our clients. Uh, we're going to go through about two or four questions, and um, I'm sure they're questions that you would have had before as well. And if you didn't, then maybe you do now. Uh, so, which question shall we start with? Uh, well, just to kind of surmise there, what I would say is we're going to try and make this as punchy as possible, and so we're going to do three client questions they're regular questions that come into us literally five minutes on each, no more. So the goal is to get this tied up in the next 15 minutes, no pressure, <laughs> which is quite refreshing because we tend to kind of meander through our podcast, don't we, Sean? So first one, calorie deficit. Client asks, how many calories should I be dropping in order for me to lose weight? So you'd be looking at about four to 500 calories under your maintenance, which would be sustainable for you over a week. Um, so let's say you're on, let's say your maintenance is 2000 calories. You could go below that, you go 1500 or 1600 um, and keep that like Monday to Friday. Um, now I had this during the week as well with a client um, where she's training uh, three to four days a week. Say so she's doing three, four hard sessions a week, so mm-hmm. but she still wants to be in a deficit. So we have her on maintenance calories. Some days just even slightly above it. Say maintenance calories on her training days, and then her non-training days or her less active days, she'll be on less calories, and that really works for her because on her training days, she has more calories in her to fuel fuel her workout, mm-hmm. and then when she's not training, then she's a small bit less active. So because she's not going to the gym and she's working in, a, in a, an office, mm-hmm. so she's a bit less active, so she doesn't need as many calories. Cool. That's cool. I'm in full agreement with that. I would take a slightly different approach, depends on the individual that I'm working with, in as much as for some people, when they come and start working with me, they might be eating quite a significant excessive amount of calories. So we might get back to the point of maintenance, first of all, before going into any de- any deficit at all. So it, it really depends. For me, it depends on somebody's dieting age. So how many times have they been on diets before? What's their experience of diets? But being really cautious that we never put somebody into a position where they feel like they're starving and they can only think about one thing, and that's food. So in my world, sometimes it's right to start somebody getting back to a place of maintenance and then dropping by 10% deficit. 
holding that down for a couple of weeks, then dropping by another fifth, another five percent deficit, and just going with it and and seeing if you can progress somebody's calorie deficit over time. Because a lot of the work that I do is about managing habits, and people are often in a place of real frustration, and uh, they to then take away somebody a huge amount of calories from somebody overnight is is massively stressful i find so we'd always be driven specifically by the client's needs by their their own experiences and also looking at that and going can we create consistency at one level before we drop those calories back again 100 for yeah. some for some people whacking in a 500 calorie deficit uh day in day out is going to be a massive massive ask so client specific, but I like to start at something somewhere between 10% and 15% and then drop it back after we've created consistency. Because we, for me personally, as a, as a professional, I want to be putting myself in a position where I've supported that person to their goals for the rest of their lives, as opposed to putting them into a massive calorie deficit and then having them jump out. So you get, uh, you get the risk of relapse is greater the bigger the deficit. So for me, how small can we create the deficit to get a result would be the question I'd ask. Yeah, 100%. I like that. You went you went the more personalized approach. I just went with the get on the internet, look at the calorie counter, oh, 2,000 calories. That's because I gave you five minutes to answer the question, Sean. <laughs> but that's really interesting, isn't it? Because this is essentially how a doctor's office would operate. You get 10 minutes for your appointment. We do what we can in 10 minutes. See ya. And we, then, need, we need to be really careful with that. If if you have a personal trainer, either in person or on, or online, you get so much more time with that with that professional than you would with a doctor. Obviously, we are not doctors, but we do help with every aspect of of life. We're helping with exercise, nutrition, with habit building, with routine, mm-hmm. with sleep, with everything that will help. Um. So you get so much more time with a with a, a personal trainer or online coach or whatever uh, than you would with with your GP or your doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Next subject. Then I was asked earlier in the week about creating resiliency, uh, and in fact, it was not specifically um, health and fitness related, but it was more uh, a client's mum is very unwell and likely. Uh, will be at some point coming to the end of her life and my client was concerned about all of the habits that we've built up in recent months just sliding because priorities change so question being how do we keep resilience in our lives when we face challenges Uh, for this particular client based on all the work we've done before it was about really um, looking at habits looking at non-negotiables and recognizing that actually in this particular instance, if you are struggling at some point with the health, your own health or with the health of a loved one, there will be days where you will not be quite so focused. And that's okay. It is natural when you go through something that is as emotionally uh, impactful as the suffering of a loved one or suffering yourself you will regress slightly. So it's not necessarily a question of, will you come off of the horse? Yes, you will at some point, but it's more about how quickly can we get back on. 
and and almost getting to that point we go i do expect sometimes it's going to be really difficult for me but my values are that i create better health for myself and for my family so that i can support them and, and live a good contented life it's about getting back on the horse more than it is about falling off falling off is inevitable for, for everybody in a different part of their journey uh, and we spoke about tracking stuff um we spoke about something that i did when i lost my weight uh remembering that i lost 110 pounds and what i would do is i would get a calendar and i would literally if i was proud of what i'd done to support my health that particular day i'll put a big tick and the more ticks i had on the sheet the, the better i knew i was doing so it's almost like a self-accountability being able to be reasonable and compassionate with yourself and saying sometimes i will get it wrong getting it right more often than getting it wrong is the key true you said it there 100 percent um yeah and like shit happens it's going something something's going to happen but it's how you you react to that or even when you have feel you have no control over something you always have control of did you did you some sort of movement in the day mm-hmm. unless you're injured or something obviously or did what food did you put in your mouth like you at least you will have control over that you can't have control over a loved one passing away yeah. um but you do you can have control over how much you moved in the day or how much food you put in your mouth or how much sleep you're getting and it's just, it's the habits now that that your client is after building up yeah that will support her if something that something stressful comes along yeah. you and say, it's right. interesting isn't it how you know, we talk about calorie deficit an awful lot we talk about workouts an awful lot we talk about sleep an awful lot but actually how do we afford ourselves compassion in that moment where we say do you know what this is really challenging me and this is really hard how do i bring self-care back to myself if you can't do any more than a couple of minutes of deep breathing that day and you've been operating in the middle of an absolute shitstorm, then you're still winning because you're still saying I matter amongst everything else that's going on in my life. And so sometimes it's about being able to microdose self-care. How do we bring care back to us in our moment of pain? I like that, the microdose uh, self-care. I'm making notes. It was all the bars six months ago. And, you, know, you heard it everywhere. But it, perhaps, uh, perhaps the fads and the the, the favourites, it's, it's not being talked about so much now. Microdose yeah. self-care is one of the most compassionate ways you can move forward in your own journey. Two to five minutes of doing something that makes a real difference to you as an individual. If you're operating in the middle of stress, you need to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, slow down all of your hormones, bring them back to balance in the place of centre. The best way to do that is breathing deeply through your nose. And it's so it's so simple. Like it's it's there, it's free, it's always there. Anytime yeah. in the day or night, this this shop never closes. Yes. You know, it's we were we were talking about before we came on before we came on air about uh new york and it's the city that never sleeps your your body is the the machine that never sleeps <laughs> it's always and isn't it wonderful and i know a lot of people when you, when you when you start to look at what the body achieves at every living moment of our lives it's fucking overwhelming absolutely mind-bogglingly overwhelming but also at the same time if you are that walking miracle then support support that walking miracle 
nothing you nothing that goes on in your life or to you as an individual is is as a result of consequence we have far greater control than we believe and it's it's funny what you said a while ago um like about the deep breathing about breathing through your nose simulate the the parasympathetic nervous system so you become less stressed and you become thinking a bit clearer like you don't think of oh, i'm just going to take a few deep breaths there oh i feel better now you, you just think of that you just think i'll take a few breaths and i'll feel better you don't think of i'm just going out to into the spare room there now to take a few deep breaths uh to stimulate my parasympathetic nervous system <laughs> to do all these things like you don't say that you just go and just do it because you know you're going to feel better after. it's an old one but do you know what are you breathing to survive or to thrive yeah if you want rest and you want to digest and you want to bring hormones back to that place of homeostasis where we're all at our best, one of the simplest ways is breathing. And what you said earlier about movement, breathing deeply through your nasal passages, tracking where the air is in your body, right down to your hips and your pelvic floor, that is movement. You cannot breathe without movement. It doesn't happen. So... Breathing is the fundamental, necessary movement for life. Awesome. And that brings us on to our last question, which was about tracking. Mm -hmm. So tracking, not just not just food, but movement, but everything, because we can track everything now. We have most of us have a smartwatch on our wrist. We can track how many steps we've did we've done in a day. Uh, which like however, a hundred years ago you'd be like, how the hell am I supposed to know how many steps I've done in a day? You used to walk along and count, Sean. Yeah. When I was little, we used to count. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sort of thing your granddad would say, isn't it? I could only count to 10, so <laughs> I counted to 10 100 times. <laughs> You've got 10 toes as well, mate. Yeah. That's 20. So tracking metrics, um, maybe what, what are the most important things to track just for mm -hmm. our our general health and well-being and uh then if we want to say some some may maybe more advanced ones um so i suppose the first kind of ones the most easy the easiest if you have a smart watch is probably i look down i see my heart rate i see my steps mm -hmm. it tells me my calories as well but that's inaccurate um so yeah steps and heart rate are, are a good indicator it also does sleep they, which i love um so i'd look at my heart rate mm -hmm. during the night and i notice if i'm after if i'm sick or if i'm after um alcohol or after eating late at night my heart rate will be a few beats higher which is crazy like it's usually like maybe 41 to 44 say if it's 41 mm -hmm. in the night it was 42 last night uh i was out the weekend i woke up on sunday morning i looked at it it was like 56 Boston. Buzzing. And that's a rest. That's yeah, that's a that's at rest. That's deep sleep. So like But it's interesting, isn't it? When you, and it, it and that's why I love these conversations because one way or another something will organically come out of this. And I, I've just something has just occurred to me is that when we're eating, we are creating stress for the body. And that might be quite an alternative view. But if you think about what you're actually doing, you're bringing energy into the body. So the body has to respond. 
through the metabolic processes and turn your food into ATP, adenotriphosphate, which is useful for us in our day-to-day lives, that process is stressful. And that's ultimately, and, and it becomes inflammatory, which is why in some cases there is a place for intermittent fasting. And certainly with uh, diabetes, for instance, then that is an inflammatory scenario. There's, there's a vascular impact that happens there. But with a lot of what goes on within the, the, the digestive tract and the breaking of, of raw food down into energy, we have to realize that that is stressful for the body. And that's, that's no different bringing in alcohol, which is essentially fermented sugar, has been through a process to, to, to draw it into alcohol through hops and sugar and heat or whatever it is they do to produce it. When we bring that into our body, it's stressful for us. And particularly when we're eating things like proteins, that is particularly stressful for the body because it takes so much energy and so much work to break that down to a point where the body can use it. And often we don't think about that, but your instance of having a higher heart rate after alcohol is one, because it's a stimulant, but two, because you flooded your body with sugars. So now your heartbeat's going like that and it's it's on adrenal. Uh, and I, I think that's a, a really interesting way to look at it uh, because most of us, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be <laughs> eating, don't get me wrong, because it's causing stress, but we do need to recognise that there is a response from your body every time you eat something. And being able to manage that to a position that supports your health better, thinking about sugars and diabetes and the pancreas and insulin and all that sort of stuff that goes on through that process is stressful for the body. Yeah. Uh, and going back to, to tracking, um, I'm a massive fan of tracking hydration, preferably not alcoholic. Right? <laughs> Although some of it is, is going to be helpful. So if we go right back to basics, the things that I'd like to track in order with most of my clients starts with hydration and sleep. Then we might look at nutrition. And I would always start with the cornerstones of uh, high volume, low energy stuff. There's not low fat foods, but they're high nourishment value foods. So fruits and vegetables, that's an awesome thing to track. Uh, lean proteins is an awesome thing to track. Complex carbohydrates are an interesting thing to track. Workout intensity. Yeah, and then if you want to look at the more advanced stuff, I'd be looking at VO2 max, uh, oxygen saturation done through an oximeter. Blood pressure, I know you're a fan. Blood pressure is a big blood one. Pressure. Yeah, blood sugar level is a big one. Fasted blood sugar level is really, really good indication of somebody's health. It's only part of the picture, but if if your body is not able to manage sugars whilst you're sleeping, that's, that's potentially a red flag. Yeah. Now, that sounds really, really technical, but these days we are so fortunate that we have at the end of our fingertips stores like Amazon. You get a blood sugar monitor for about 25 quid. Um, you can even ask your doctor. I actually got one for free from the doctor. Um, they asked, was I diabetic? I'm not, thank God. But they will give you one for free or else maybe at a, a very low cost and you mm -hmm. can do the the blood blood sugar yourself on, on a basic level it really depends what the what an individual's priority is so if we know for instance that we're we're eating emotionally then we want to be managing stress so we want to track things like downtime sleep time 
Um, we want to be perhaps employing a limitation on blue screens. We want to switch our phones off, have an amnesty on phones and text messages for a period of time. Uh, you know, there's so much that we can now track, but actually being able to track something for an extended period of time after you've done tracking for a period, you don't have to track forever. Yeah. Because tracking can help us form that initial habit. Once we've nailed that habit, we can go on and track something else. We don't need to track a hundred different things. Yeah, and this is this is some, a question that comes up quite a bit. It's like, how long should I track my food for? Or do I have to use my fitness pal or chronometer or whatever you're using for the rest of my life? No, use it three to six months maybe. Yeah. Then go off on your own. Yeah. Like you kind of know then um so you could use it at kind of maybe like peak times in the year like mm -hmm. now until christmas maybe take a little break then uh or maybe february take a little break then until summer maybe use it in and summer, what we likely see is the information that we've learned the skills that we've learned whilst tracking cross over into a period where we're not having to be so attached to my fitness pal that's yeah. the aim that's the aim where you start to learn because very little, uh, and it's worth mentioning with my fitness power, the data that's in there will, will change only by a very small amount in the next 10 years, depends on what comes onto the market from a foodstuff perspective and what changes with fashions around what we eat. But the chicken breast, hundred grams of chicken breast is going to be 200 calories, whatever the weather, whether we're in 1980 or whether we're in 2040, so if we're constantly learning our own vocabulary and our own knowledge and, and increasing our knowledge around foods, we don't have to track forever. Hmm. Yep. True. Uh, I think we're there, Sean. Yep, we are. We, we're pretty much there. Um, if anyone has any other questions or anything, just pop them over to myself or Andy and we can answer them. We'll answer them on the podcast, but we'll also give you a personalised answer as well. Um if you want to support the podcast, as always, check the link below in the show notes and you buy us a coffee. We still need to meet for a coffee in person, uh, either in Brighton or in Ireland. And um, yeah, that's it. Thanks a million, Andy. Thank you, Sean. Been a pleasure as always. Anybody who wants to PM or DM uh, Three Pillars Fit, uh, get in touch. And uh, for Sean, how, how do you show up on social media, Sean? Uh, Sean Power Fitness. SeanPowerFitness.com. Also have my retreat coming up on the 23rd of October, the 27th of November, and the 11th of December in Bridge in Galway, if anyone's around that part of the world. Okay. Thank Adios. you, Sean. Pleasure uh, as always.